Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Dr. Ron from Dr. Ron Unfiltered, Uncensored, here on Blog Talk Radio. We are here each and every Tuesday at 4 p.m., bringing you the latest medical commentary. We will bring you very interesting guests. We can be reached at 347-989-8899 or, of course, on the Internet at blogtalkradio.com. I thank you for making this the number one listen-to medical program here in South Florida. And we will get on with the show very shortly. Good afternoon, everyone. Dr. Ron here from Dr. Ron Unfiltered, Uncensored, on Tuesday, January 7th. Welcome, and again, thank you for making this the number one listen to health radio show here in southwest Florida. I appreciate everything you do for us. I always say I have an attitude of gratitude when it comes to this program. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we have some things to talk about today, I, and while I clean up some legal matters here, I need you to put on your seatbelts and get some duct tape, because uh, I think you'll really enjoy today's program. We have a very special guest today, Dr. Sarah Russell, and uh, she will tell you, and I, we will talk about uh, what I like, the, the word she used in her article, the... Uh, uh, in fact, I have to look it up, but it was so good. But it, <laughs> sorry, Sarah, the unre- under-recognized epidemic, because it really uh, brought to mind uh, the uh, thyroid book that we always talk about, Dr. Broder Barnes, the uh, underdiagnosed thyroid condition, hypothyroidism. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, I have to read this. This program contains general medical information. The medical information heard on this program is not advice and should not be treated as such. The information is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. You should never delay seeking medical advice, disregard medical advice, or discontinue medical treatment because of information heard on this program. You are encouraged to confirm any information obtained on this program with other sources and review all information regarding any medical condition or treatment with your physician. With that said, uh, you know we've been talking about toxins and mercury for a long period of time. We have told you that our babies are born with more than 200 chemical toxins in their body And gosh, if babies have this many, just imagine how many we all have as we get up on years and live on this earth for 40, 50, or 60 years. It is definitely cumulative. So one of those toxins is mercury. And uh, in a minute, we will have Dr. Sarah Russell uh, discuss that. In the meantime, I do have uh, two guest hosts, Dr. Dan and Dr. Jerry. I'd like to introduce both of them. Dr. Dan, are you there? I am here. Bon, buongiorno. How are you, Dr. Ron, Dr. Jerry? I am fine. Dr. Jerry, how are you? Alive, well, and kicking. Okay, are you chewing? <laughs> and the weather's great down here. 
All right, right. guys, it's really good. I, I did send you uh, some information on uh, on the, uh, Sarah Russell. Uh, I met Sarah Russell because of an article that she wrote in the Townsend Letter, which is a the Examiner of Alternative Medicine. And I have to tell you, I've been a, I've been receiving this letter when it was just uh, about six pages long on eight by sevens and stapled. Uh, so it's been a a good resource for me, and it has gotten better with age, almost like Italian wine. But uh, I, she wrote a great article, and it's, it, it hit a lot of the points that Dr. Jerry uh, has brought up from his practice. Uh, he of, often talks about mercury in the thyroid and finding mercury here and there, and so does the, Dr. Sarah Russell uh, bring that up in her article. Uh, her conclusions uh, were just great, you know, about mercury toxicity and chronic mercury toxicity remaining under-recognized by both mainstream and alternative health authorities. She talks about the iatrogenic nature of mercury. And her article is titled, The Quintessential Anti-Nutrient. But the, the last the two words of her article are the under-recognized epidemic. And I think that is really important for us. With that, from Tuscany and from all parts of the United States, Sarah Russell. Good afternoon, Sarah. Good afternoon, uh, Dr. Ron. Thank you for having me on your show. Hey, it is definitely our pleasure. And it's going to be your show today because uh, I think this will be a good resource for our listeners to come back and listen to uh, at a later date because all our shows are archived and accessible uh, after about an hour after we complete them. So, Sarah, uh, I did re- you know I, I did receive your extensive training. Uh, maybe you could highlight some of your background for our listeners, uh, please, and then we'll get. Uh, then we'll talk about mercury and how you got interested in it. Sure. So, you know, I actually come from an academic background. I got my Ph.D. at UC Berkeley um, in, <coughs> pardon me, in 2010. Um, and then I, um, I switched gears and, and went back to my, uh, my original fantasy, which was to become a nutritionist. Uh, something that I abandoned in my adolescence when I wasn't able to find any good books that talked about nutrition in terms of food. Um, so I I went back and, and got my nutritional therapy credentials. And um, after that, started um, researching the impact of heavy metals on, on nutritional status in the body. And um, <coughs> did some training in that area. And integrated that into my practice. And what what got you started uh, studying mercury? Well, um, I felt in in a way that it, it it answered some unanswered questions about my own health, and um, I I basically had um, twelve amalgam fillings put in. It was. Uh, when I was 18, um, my my uh, my dental insurance was about to come to an end, and I um, I had not really gotten uh, dental care during my childhood and teen years. So I basically spent a summer 
taking care of my uh, of my dental needs. <coughs> and the the dentist that I went to um, was cheap and he was fast and he loved those amalgam fillings. He he basically filled my mouth with them. So um, it I my health definitely declined after those were put in, and um, and then um, I got. I got exposed to mold a few years after those fillings were placed, about four years later. And then um, my health declined some more. And then slowly over the years, um, as as the fillings were removed one by one, as, as they kind of needed to be replaced, then my health slowly improved until it tanked again when, <coughs> sorry, when the very last filling was taken out in 2014. Um, so I did, I did notice the ups and downs, um, and, um, and decided that I was going to basically inquire more deeply about, uh, the impact on mercury. I knew that I was not the only person who had had fillings placed and taken out and had had, um, ill health effects as a result. So, um, I was also very lucky in Berkeley to, um, to be part of a community of people who were interested in the impact of amalgam fillings and uh, and mercury poisoning, um, I, I made some really great friends. One one of those is the the co-author of the article, uh, Chris Homey, and um, another one is uh, Dave Rana, um, who was who went to graduate school at Princeton with uh, Andrew Cutler, who is one of the main uh, sources of, of the learning that I did on the impact of mercury on human health and, uh, and a way to, <coughs> to understand its effects on the body. Okay. Well, uh, you know, you, these are all things that uh, we have been talking about. Dr. Jerry Smith is, uh, you know, he's a dentist and a natural practitioner. He's been talking about this and we're trying to get people's attention that is, it is something real. So, let's start off, uh, Sarah. What are what are some of the causes? Uh, what, what are some of the common sources of mercury exposure? Uh, and I guess you'll probably start off with amalgams. Yes, definitely. Um, amalgam is really it's been used for the past 150 years, and it it not only accumulates over our individual lifetimes. As it off-gasses, amalgam fillings are 50% elemental mercury, and, and that does slowly off-gas um, beginning when the fillings are placed and also when they are removed. Um, and on a daily basis, they, they do off-gas. There are several different factors that determine how much they will off-gas, and we can't predict them you know, to 100%, but um, it is a few micrograms per day. It can be anywhere from two to five micrograms to upwards of um, of uh, 25 uh, micrograms per day, um, which is a lot. <coughs> um, and uh, and it also bioaccumulates over the generations because it it is passed from mother to child in utero, which means that every generation that you go back. Um, our mothers, our grandmothers, our great-grandmothers, and so on, for the past 150 years, have been <coughs> concentrating mercury 
and passing it on through um, through the placenta into their offspring. Wow. Um, so that is is the most significant. Yeah, <coughs> that is the most significant source for most people. Um, other other common sources are um, fish consumption. Um, it is absorbed in, in a somewhat different way than elemental mercury, um, but it is, uh, you know, it is for a lot of people who consume a substantial amount of fish, um, particularly larger fish at the top of the food chain, like um, swordfish um, and tuna. Um, it is a substantial source of mercury toxicity. And then um, vaccines, depending on, on the particular vaccine, uh, can contain up to, um, and sometimes, <coughs> sometimes over, 25 micrograms of mercury um, per, per vaccine. Um, and then other kind of, you know, there are some old uh, sources that used to be common, uh, household objects such as those old mercury thermometers. Hopefully nobody has one of those anymore. If you do have one lying around, um, it is hazardous waste. Don't just, uh, you know, don't keep it around your house and don't throw it in the trash either. Uh, have to dispose of it properly. And then now, basically, uh, you know, some of those old sources have been phased out in the name of removing um, potential hazardous toxic exposure. We have new sources, like the compact fluorescent light bulbs, um, which contain a substantial amount of mercury um, in in each of those bulbs. So when they break, they release um, mercury vapor that is incredibly difficult to remove from the environment. And it continues to <coughs> to off-gas for up to three years once one of those bulbs is broken. So those are the most well, doc- common... Oh, Dr. Good. Jerry Smith, uh, who's also, uh, you know, he's he's listening, he's here, but he often states, you know, the dentist put it in your mouth and don't think anything of it, but if you break a thermometer in a hospital, you know, the hazmat team is it comes there with their masks and gowns and whatever, so uh, there seems to be a, a people, a, you know, a, a, a disconnect between putting it in your mouth and what yeah. what a poison it really is. Well, yeah, I just want to put my two cents yeah. in. Sarah Russell, it's a pleasure to uh, be on the program with you. Uh, another interesting source for environmental pollution is actually the dental offices. You know, according to the EPA, uh, the dental offices represent one of the largest sources of mercury discharges into the public water supply. It, it, there's no filter yeah. that I'm aware of that traps uh colloidal mercury when it's drilled out of a filling and goes into the uh, the cuspidor or the water uh, filtration system. So the public's getting it. Plus the other uh, contamination source is cremation. You know, you get a body that's cremated, you get three, according to the government statistics, 3.6 tons of mercury vapor are discharged into the atmosphere from cremation of mercury. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, now we have this mercury, and what what effects uh, does it have on the body as as, as far as there are the the nutrients are concerned? Well, you know we have natural defenses, and we all have um, 
different because of our, our, our various epigenetic and genetic constitutions and whatever previous exposures we have had, um, we each have a very unique and individual and actually variable over our lifetime resilience to the toxic effects of mercury. And this is one of the reasons why it has been so underestimated because, um, you know, you take 10 different people with the same exact mercury exposure and they all have a different effect. So it's not like, um, you know, many other, um, you know, mercury poisoning is not like an, an illness which has similar signs and symptoms in, in the same people. It is much more elusive than that. So, for example, we have various natural defense mechanisms like the metallothionines in our gut, which are um, basically um, zinc and copper dependent, and and those help sequester the mercury that, that we ingest through our food. So, for example, through um, fish uh, consumption. And, um, and we also have the glutathione system, which is an, the body's most important antioxidant defense, uh, which is a selenium-dependent system, uh, among other things. And <coughs> once we run through our stores of these, um, of these nutrients that are protective, such as um, zinc and, um, and selenium, I am simplifying here, uh, once we run through those, those nutrients, our natural defense system um, gets run down and the mercury takes over and and it causes impairments in, in various functional areas of the body including digestive health um, detoxification so uh, mercury impairs our detoxification of all substances including itself of course um, and, and you talk about it does affect the microbiome of the gut, and it does affect our thyroid and our hypothalamus. Uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about yeah. that. Sure. So mercury toxicity um, impairs the hypothalamus-pituitary-adrenal axis um, by making it difficult for the um, for the communication happen top down so um, for example the even even if uh, the adrenal glands have not been specifically targeted by an accumulation of mercury with, within the glands the the pituitary is not going to be able to communicate effectively with the adrenal glands um, <coughs> if, if mercury has accumulated in the brain and the brain is unfortunately one of the primary targets of mercury poisoning because um, mercury is uh, lipophilic um, once it is metabolized by the body and, uh, and it likes to accumulate. Um, basically, it, it enters cell membranes, and it, cell membranes and, it, and it enters the brain tissue um, and it can remain there for a really long time. Uh, once it enters the cells... And <coughs> and enters the brain, it becomes uh, lipophobic. So it, it does not easily escape. It, it easily gets in, um, but it, it's trapped, in a sense, in the brain. Um, so it's easy for it to get into the cell, but difficult for it to get out of the cell. Yes. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, so it sort of gets trapped inside, 
of these particular cells and tissues that it that it um, preferentially targets. And um, one of one of the other uh, common targets for mercury poisoning, especially in women, is the thyroid gland. And um, I, I see a lot of uh, of women who have Hashimoto's uh, thyroiditis as a result of, or, you know, um, with mercury as either a, a strong uh, causal factor um, or as a contributing factor. It really depends on the person's constitution and, and predispositions. But, but a, lot of, um, a lot of the women that I see with Hashimoto's hypothyroidism either have had a lot of fillings placed or uh, sometimes are the daughters of dentists um, or um, <laughs> have worked as dental hygienists or are dentists themselves. And, and uh, I was going to bring Dr. Jerry Smith back in. Jerry, I mean, haven't you found that this uh, in, your, in, in your practice where you find mercury in the thyroid, you find mercury in the adrenals? Uh, is oh, absolutely. This, uh, what you're finding absolutely. in practice, correct? Mm. Yeah, I mean, basically, um, as Sarah Russell, you're probably familiar with uh, Vimy and the Lorshatter's work from Mountain Calgary, where they, they took radioactive mercury, which does not appear naturally in in our civilization, and they put it into a sheep, and, you know, within 24, 48, and 72 hours, that radioactive mercury had disseminated to the different organs of the body, and they could track it with Geiger counters, so... This stuff's crazy uh, as far as, you know, getting out into the different systems. But the thyroid, what I'm finding dentally, anything in the mouth is drained via the lymphatic system into the thyroid thymus, the heart, especially the breast tissue in women. There's extensive lymphatic drainage. And it gets trapped in the receptors there because it's a main filter. Yeah. And the problem with a lot of dentists, yeah. unfortunately, there's you know there's a whole protocol, and I'm sure you're aware of it. You know, the, the average dentist uh, does not have the precautions to protect not only himself, his staff, the people in the reception room, and also the patient with carbon filters, negative ion generators, uh, high-speed suction with carbon filters to you know to grab onto that mercury vapor when they're pulling it out of the tooth. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think you're absolutely right, Jerry. Uh, but getting back at Sarah, what other what other health issues did you come across in, in your research with mercury? I noticed you also mentioned in your article about other heavy metals, right? Toxic metals. Sure. That, uh, so um, unfortunately, mercury can can be synergistically toxic with with other metals such as lead. Um, basically, you take one of them and, you know, say mercury is a one and, and lead is a one. They're both very toxic metals. Uh, but you put them together and it's not going to be two. It's going to be more like 10 or 15. They multiply the, each other's toxicity uh, because of a number of different factors. So, um, so that has to be taken into account. <coughs> in, in one study, they um, injected... Um, rats with a certain amount of mercury and other rats, you know, similar rats with a certain amount of lead, but the the group that was injected with a combination of the same amount of mercury and the same amount of lead that had been used in the 
in, in the other two groups uh, with just one of the, of the two toxicants, um, basically um, a disproportionate number of them, uh, a disproportionate percentage of them died uh, because of the combined toxicity. So Sarah, I have a question for you. Account. Have you run into, uh, in, in your research, about the frequencies of mercury? And I just want to preface that by 1988, there was an article that I read in a homeopathic journal from an East German physician who said that mercury gives off between 13 and 21 different frequencies, and that's why it's so toxic. You know, I have to admit that I am not familiar with that um, with that particular line of research, um, but I'm not particularly surprised. Because I know mercury is like the second most toxic because substance on the planet, and, and when it gets into the mitochondria yeah. and, the, and the organelles of the cells, it just disrupts the physiology tremendously. Absolutely, yeah. Mitochondrial dysfunction is another one of those. Um, it, it's part of <laughs> basically a domino effect of, of incredible dysfunction in the body. I mean, we all know that mitochondria produce ATT, but we don't we don't often think about how, and we don't really think very much of the mitochondria. We just sort of take them for granted. Um, but they they are very susceptible to mercury toxicity. And once you have uh, you know mitochondrial impairment, <coughs> then you have a problem on the cellular level. Your cells are just not functioning <laughs> optimally anymore. Right. Well, I, have a, I want to throw you a curveball. In in my practice, I find vegetarians are much more susceptible to mercury toxicity than people who eat animal protein. And I have to believe that the animal protein supplies more sulfur double bonds in in the food versus a vegetarian type diet. Do you have any experience with that? Well, you know, I think that. Um, not necessarily. I mean, I think that that there there are a lot of of um, vegetarian foods that that supply thiols, you know, the, the double bonded sulfur. Right. right. Um, but um, <coughs> there are there, animal foods are more nutrient dense. Obviously, nobody is really going to get away with being healthy if they just eat animal foods or they just eat plant foods. We really need a combination of the two in order to be healthy and balanced. Um, you know, um, animal animal foods supply vitamin B12, which um, you know, which plant foods do not supply in, in bioavailable amounts. And of course, that is an incredibly important nutrient for uh, for energy and well-being, um, and for the you know proper transport of oxygen <coughs> on the red blood cells. So um, people do tend to get a lot sicker um, from um, you know, from mercury poisoning if they <coughs> if they are on a plant based diet. Additionally, um, you know, a lot about forty percent of um of people with mercury poisoning are um hypothesized to be intolerant to foods that contain high amounts of thiols. For example, um legumes, uh including soy, um, cruciferous vegetables, <coughs> uh, eggs and dairy. So if you're if you're on a vegan or a vegetarian diet, you really don't have any protein sources that um, that um, that are not high thiol. So you end up kind of um, you know 
intolerant to almost all your sources of protein, and, and that's not a great place to be in terms of health. Have you Sarah, do you think that, that this, this low-fat craze that we've been going through for the last 50 years has anything to do with mercury toxicity? The um, low-fat diet, not having well, good quality fats in our diet. Yeah, I definitely think that <clears throat> that going on a low-fat diet, and, and that also means you know that the fats that people are eating, because there is a phobia about saturated fats, we're eating a lot of rancid, um, poor quality, low nutrient um, vegetable oils in the place of traditional fats that are rich in fat soluble vitamins and have protective um, qualities. You know, vitamin A and vitamin E are incredibly important, and they are not available in you know in your commercial canola oil or whatnot. Um, they are uh, present in in traditional real fats that have been issued. And so we we are um, we're seeing a generation uh, the past couple of <coughs> of generations, especially women, who have been affected more by by the fat phobia than men, who are incredibly susceptible to mercury poisoning because they're missing out on entire categories of foods that that can provide them with um, with protection from from the effects of mercury. And 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 before. Before we get on to, to other subjects that I want to hit uh, uh, with you about uh, what we can do about amalgam fill, fillings and, and uh, how you can help uh, our listeners, <clears throat> I want to talk about the, the gut because, I, you know, we all know that our, our immune system resides in, in our gut. And you do talk about it in your article about how the di- digestive dysfunction and immune health uh, are affected by mercury. Maybe could you just talk a little bit about that for our listeners, please? Sure, yeah. So mercury impairs um, a lot of the um, functions in the gut, really north to south. Digestion really begins in the brain. So <coughs> by impairing the um, the communication along the um, hypothalamus-pituitary-adrenal axis, it, it's a lot harder for the proper signals to happen. So the digestive system has to be but the body has to be in parasympathetic mode for us to properly digest the food uh, to secrete the, the, the proper uh, acids uh, to get the process started in the stomach and to, um, and to then um, secrete the enzymes properly <coughs> in, in, um, from the pancreas into the small intestine to complete the process. And... Uh, all, <coughs> all of the nutrients that get depleted by mercury, including zinc, have um, an important role in, in the digestive cascade. So uh, zinc is, is important for the production of stomach acid, and stomach acid is responsible to help us assimilate zinc, among other minerals. So you can see <coughs> that this ends up being a, a really awful vicious cycle because as, um, as zinc gets uh, depleted because of pervasive mercury toxicity in the body, we stop being able to produce the the appropriate amount of stomach acid that helps us absorb not only zinc, but, um, you know, all kinds of other minerals, including iron and um, and uh, vitamins, such as vitamin B12. <laughs> so 
so we end up in a state of nutrient deficiency. And um, and lower down in the gut, we have um, basically a preference for the proliferation of yeast as opposed to healthy, um, diverse strains of, of um, probiotic microorganisms that coexist in harmony uh, as as it's supposed to be in the gut. So uh, this can lead to both a leaky gut and a leak in the blood-brain barrier. Is that correct? Absolutely, yeah. Mercury impairs barriers really, you know, on, on from the cell from the cellular level to the vascular level to the to the gut level uh, to the blood-brain level. Absolutely. Well, I think in dental, when they did research, the more mercury fillings in the teeth, the higher the concentration of mercury in the brain. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and same thing in terms of uh, the level of toxicity in, in newborn children. So there is definitely a dose-dependent relationship, um, you know, both <coughs> within the individual who's exposed to mercury via amalgams and their offspring, you know, the offspring of, of women who, who are exposed to amalgams. And usually the first offspring gets the brunt of the mer- mother's mercury, I think. Yes, if she already has her amalgams placed. Um, right. You know, so it's interesting because working with families where, you know, <laughs> say the mother um, had no amalgams before the first child and then she got them placed between the first and the second, uh, you know, it's it's really interesting to see the variety in, um, in health problems in, in uh, children by birth order um, in relation to the mother's exposure two amalgam fillings being either removed or placed at various points in time in relation to the to the children. And 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 how about as as a uh, if a child has a burden of mercury is he more susceptible to allergies, uh hyperactivity disorders, uh, is that is that connected? Yeah. Yeah, so um certainly autism is connected with mercury. Um, a lot of the time, you know, the, the big controversy with autism and mercury ha- is it gets very centered on vaccines, and, and we don't talk much about the impact of of the most significant mercury exposure, <coughs> which is maternal dental amalgam. Um, it's a huge amount of um, of exposure that that so many babies are getting in utero without their mothers uh, really thinking about it very much. Um, and it's interesting because some research on uh, factors that increase the the release of of elemental mercury from <coughs> from the amalgam fillings suggests that um, that um, electromagnetic frequencies from smartphones, for example, and um, as well as gum chewing and various other uh, factors that many people wouldn't think twice about can really exponentially increase the, the release of amalgam um, of, of, uh, of mercury vapor from the amalgam during pregnancy and other times. Um, so, so these are factors that can really make a difference well, another, beyond the number of amalgam fillings in the mother. Yeah, Sarah, I know it's also very interesting, and unfortunately many dentists are not cognizant of the uh, galvanic currents that are generated by mixing metals in the mouth because 
you know, as a yeah. consumer, you don't think of that. But, you know, if you're going to get a gold crown and you have three other mercury fillings in the mouth, Stortebaker uh, over in Sweden showed that the, the mercury comes out ten times faster when you have mixed metals in the yeah. mouth. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I would just like to go back because uh, I was not aware of it, and I don't remember uh, us, uh, Jerry, ever bringing it up on the program about electromagnetic fields increasing mercury exposure. I don't even recommend uh, remember Dr. Talmore bringing that up. No, uh, you're right. You know, I, I, I think that's really an important part because we have these cell phones up where? To our, to our head and, and our teeth. Well, that's why he that's recommended we have, yeah, the air tubes. We, re- we really have to get out there. Well, the other thing, too, Sarah, have you come across, you mentioned earlier about the, the CF bulbs, the mercury vapor bulbs. Would not the frequencies generated from a, a functioning uh, uh, vapor bulb create uh, health issues to people being subjected to those frequencies? Yeah, most likely, you know, I'm not the best uh, source of information on the effects of, of the frequencies because I haven't really looked at those in depth. Um, but, yes, I mean, it, it, we are looking at um, basically interactions between different layers of, of things that uh, cumulatively disrupt the, the body's biochemistry. Because, unfortunately, well, we're getting inundated with all kinds of, uh, you know, EMFs and the lighting problems, uh, the smart meters that they're putting on, the electric meters are putting on the houses in the states and elsewhere, it's just uh, bombarding the human body and uh, in many cases it can't handle it. Yeah. And and they're invisible, so we don't really think about them. Excuse me. Uh, uh, what uh, what about, this is Dr. Dan, this is Dan, uh, what about the LEDs? Are they putting off any mercury uh, or just uh, they're concerned with the EMS, with the, with the LED lighting that they're using a lot of now. Yeah, they, they, don't, they don't contain mercury. I think it's more of an EMS issue. It's more of an electromagnetic field issue, Dan. Okay, yeah, the yeah. difference situation. Okay. All right, so our, our, our biggest uh, exposure that our listeners would know about is the amalgam fillings. So, Sarah, uh, what do the listeners need to know before they just rush out to get their fillings removed? Well, uh, it's, you know, you have to look at, you have to have a plan. Um, You have to have a good sense of of where, uh, where your physical state of health is and what you can handle. It's also really important to assess <coughs> what um, you know what protective protocol is best for you. Um, there are a lot of different plans out there. Um, there's a lot of controversy, and I think that one of the reasons for the controversy is that different things seem to work for different people. And this again goes back to the to the issue of mercury acting differently in different in different bodies because of our uniqueness. Um, so it is really important to um, to prepare in a context that is individualized to your particular state of health, and there are you know basic protections that most people um, highly benefit from, such as antioxidants, uh, vitamin C, vitamin E, 
Um, magnesium is, I've also found to be pretty much universally protective. Zinc is very protective, um, but not to everybody. It really depends. Um, and, um, and selenium is incredibly helpful for a lot of people as well. Um, and then everything else is a little bit of a, uh, of a mixed bag. Charcoal can, can be, um, can definitely be used, um, while, you know, during the, during, um, the day and the following days when the mercury is removed to absorb some of that, um, toxic waste. But, um, you know, of course, it's really important to seek out a, a holistic biological dentist who is trained in the, um, in the IOAMT, um, uh, protocol for mercury removal and, uh, we we have a dentist here who can who can speak to that and, and other additional precautions much better than I can. Uh, but choosing your dentist carefully is definitely an, a really important investment. In, just just in think health. about well, I, I could, I could interviewing tell you Sarah. Oh. I'm sorry. Yeah, I just wanted to say that you know it's a really great idea to interview your dentist uh, to make sure that he's taking some basic precautions like. Uh, high-speed evacuation uh, to be placed in front of your mouth while you know they're drilling out the fillings. There's high-speed suction devices that fit around the teeth. There's uh, you know negative ion generators that flow over the patient to catch any ambient because mercury vapors have a neutral charge, and the negative ion generator attaches a negative charge to it, which then pulls it over to a positively charged mat in the room. The other key factors is make sure that there's carbon filters in the room so that the ambient mercury vapors, when they get sucked into the uh, purifier, get trapped into the uh, you know charcoal. It, it's really important that you just can't you know go to any dentist and think you're going to get safe procedures. And and the other thing that's not often talked about is the biocompatibility of the materials that they're putting back into the tooth to replace you know, the mercury filling that was in there. That sometimes can be worse than the mercury fillings. Yeah, biocompatibility testing is very important. Absolutely. Well, uh, Sarah, uh, in 1992, more or less, uh, my daughter had some health issues. I took her, to, of all places, to Hanover, Germany, uh, to be examined by <clears throat> the late Dr. Hans Nieper. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, he recommended she get all her mercury fillings removed, uh, which she did. And at that time, they were using intravenous vitamin C and dams and so forth. But what did it, that, that really turned me on to this problem. I hear I was a physician, and I really didn't know about the toxicity of mercury uh, at that time. But uh, since then, I, I awakened, and that's when I, you know, I saw your article. And I said, "We have to get this information out from, from you, also." Uh, so it's important, ladies and gentlemen, to, to get a, a dentist, interview your dentist, uh, and uh, these 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 uh, fillings have to be removed uh, uh, by someone that knows what they're doing, right, Jerry? Jerry? Oh, absolutely. And you know, I think uh, Sarah will cooperate. You know, this component of the puzzle, when the mercury gets into the gut and it starts combining with organic uh, material, the, the methyl mercury is, what, about a thousand times more toxic than the elemental mercury? 
You know, ultimately, the the various forms of mercury are they they don't they eventually really <coughs> all end up being equally toxic um, once they enter the cells. Um, so <coughs> I think that the distinction, um, you know, biochemically, eventually just blurs. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it depends on whether you're doing in vivo versus in vitro studies. Uh, but in vivo, I think pretty quickly, um, all three of the forms of mercury <coughs> end up acting uh, e- in equally toxic ways. Uh, this is, you know, the, the methyl mercury um, as the most toxic form has been used as, um, as a defense against uh, elemental mercury and vaccines that I don't think is as valid as a lot of people believe uh, believe it to be. Oh, good to know. Well, the other yeah. factor, too, is if, if the body is too acidic, it is more difficult for the cell to kick out the mercury. And if also, if they're low in minerals, uh, that also the body holds on to the mercury as if it was a mineral. Could you comment on that component? Yes. Yeah, so both of those components are... Uh, vicious cycles. Mercury is is uh, definitely, uh, you know, the superhero of of uh, vicious cycles. Basically, um, <coughs> mercury in the body um, favors metabolic acidosis, so um, it will create um, a, an environment that is more hospitable to itself. And it also depletes minerals, and and that um, you know feeds <coughs> into what you were saying about um, you know it's sort of displacing the essential minerals or um, basically um, kind of acting as an impostor in in their place. So if someone who let's say can't afford financially to get all the mercury fillings out, if they can alkalize themselves. To a you know pH of you know seven two seven three, they'll have less exposure to the mercury. Uh, would that be a correct assumption? Uh, maybe. Um, I don't think it's that simple. Um, but you know, some you know I think it is a little bit protective. Okay. Well, Sarah, uh, a couple of questions. I do want to uh, get your uh, opinion on, nu- on nu- the nutrition regarding mercury. Uh, but what what key points would you have for our listeners to uh, to determine if they have mercury poisoning? What should, what should they be looking out for? It seems to be ubiquitous, but is there any key points that you could you could give us for our listeners? Well. Um you know, if if you if you have known exposure, and you have physical symptoms, <coughs> the symptoms can be very elusive because we we didn't really talk about this, um, you know, to a great extent. But um, a lot of people with mercury poisoning will have kind of a varied constellation of of symptoms, and it's going to be different from person to person. A lot of health conditions can have mercury <coughs> exposure as a root cause or as a very strong contributing factor. Um, and um, and at the same time, uh, there is no specific illness 
that we can say, okay, Mercury causes this 100% of the time. You know, not, you know, there's nothing out there. So um, anybody who has um, unexplained health problems or who has a known Mercury exposure in their past, it's very difficult for the body to get rid of that Mercury. Um, everybody's, you know, very different in terms of their detoxification capabilities. Um, but over time, chronic, even low-dose mercury exposure will overrun our detoxification pathways and make us sick. So I think almost everybody has some degree of mercury toxicity. Um, and the question then becomes, you know, to what extent is mercury toxicity affecting my health? Um, and then how do I find out, um, you know, how do I find out diagnostically? And I find that the most um, the most useful way of testing <coughs> for mercury is um, hair tests, which, which um, of course have to be properly interpreted, because there are two main uh, patterns that that can come up on hair tests. And the first one is, you know, the mercury will show up high, and then you know that it's there. And the second one is <coughs> that mercury has a very specific way of um, of altering the transport of essential minerals. And so um, to the trained eye, looking at the, um, at the, at the mineral levels <coughs> and ratios <coughs> and the relationships between the minerals in, in the essential mineral system can tell us a lot about whether there is a hidden mercury problem in the body. You know, uh, that, that, okay, so we have to get to someone uh, that has experience with mercury, such as yourself, and we'll get, get your uh, contact information in a minute. And then uh, uh, hair analysis is the one way to uh, uh, determine if you have mercury uh, toxicity and it has to be interpreted properly, correct? Yeah, yeah. Is there a food or is there a substance that, if ingested, uh, would be like a challenge to to see if you if you got sick if you ate that particular substance? Not to the my reason knowledge. I bring that up I mean, is like I said I, before. Yeah, go ahead. I bring that up because I was just uh, uh, away with a, a dear friend of mine uh, who's, who's, who's 81 years old and was a dentist his whole life. And uh, cilantro, believe it or not, makes him sick as could be. Yeah, because it, and it I, causes this, a detox. I read, mm-hmm. yeah, a I detox read, I read in, in your article about cilantro uh, <clears throat> is, as a chelating substance. Could you just talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so it's interesting because we don't really know um, what principle, and it's whatever it is, it's in the cilantro leaf. Um, there is a chelating uh, principle in cilantro. Um, there are some people who genetically cannot stand the taste of cilantro, and and I would not attribute that necessarily to them having a mercury toxicity problem. Um, so the response to cilantro can be varied and it can have um, causes that, you know, that are not necessarily limited to mercury per se. Um, but there are people who, um, you know, who, who tout cilantro, uh, you know, used in, in therapeutic amounts. 
as a Mercury chelator. We don't really know even the half-life of this chelator, so um, many authorities do not consider it to be safe. Uh, you know, the fact that your friend got very sick from it. I, you know, I've also spoken to at least one woman who had a who had a horrible miscarriage shortly after making a, a, a soup that contained a whole bunch of cilantro in it. Um, that was an incredibly traumatic event for her. Wow. Sarah, before we go further, could you just uh, tell our audience about your website and how they get uh, get in touch with you for a consultation uh, uh, or any other of the information you may want to put out there for them, please? Sure. So <laughs> my website is um, Build, Nurture, Restore. The word build, the word nurture, and the word restore uh, .com. And um, people can get in touch with me um, by email via my website on the submission form or um, by writing me at uh, sarah at buildnurturerestore.com. Um, I am <coughs> pretty responsive to email. Um, I can also be reached by phone. Uh, I, have a, I have an American phone number, even though I do live in Italy. I can be reached at... Uh, Five one zero four two three zero six four seven. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, five one zero four two three zero six four seven, and I will put Sarah's uh, web uh, address on uh, Facebook uh, at, at the end of the show. Uh, Sarah, the, and lastly, before we get to some questions, uh, do you obviously you must use this knowledge you have about Mercury in your in your practice uh, and. Uh, does it come up very often? It comes up fairly frequently, um, you know, percentage-wise. Um, you know, I, I specialize in complex cases, so a, a lot of the people that I work with have a pretty complex um, pattern of dysfunction in the body, and mercury is often one of the um, one of the contributing areas and sometimes it is the main contributing area to the person's dysfunction. So I would say, you know, it really depends on how much the the client wants to work on their underlying um health problems, uh what their budget is and all of that. But um at least in 75% of cases mercury is um you know a, a really easily identifiable uh strong contributing factor to the clientele that I work with. Very good. Jerry, what 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 questions do we ha have for Sarah? Well, she just knows so much about this subject. Yeah, absolutely. I'm impressed. Um, I found in my practice, I've had some bipolar uh, dysfunction cases, and um, in in most of them, I found that there's mercury in the brain uh, and also <clears throat> mercury sure. in the thyroid. So the brain causes the the excitation, and of course, the depression comes from the thyroid. And once, excuse me, uh, once cleared out, you know the the bipolar disorder totally disappears. It's uh, pretty amazing, but I think you know conventional medicine that's not in their vocabulary. Yeah, you know it's so interesting, you know, that you would bring up the case of bipolar disorder because it's such a compelling example of uh, allopathic medicine's neglect of the 
the physical root causes of so many psychiatric illnesses, they are not exclusively localized in the brain. Uh, you know, we talk about biochemical dysfunction in the brain, but it's it's a physical problem. It is a tangible problem. Um, bipolar disorder can definitely be uh, associated with mercury exposure and the copper dysregulation that mercury exposure causes in a lot of susceptible people, as well as the mitochondrial dysfunction that mercury causes. There are some really good articles out there that have been written <coughs> in the past couple of years on uh, mitochondrial dysfunction and bipolar disorder. And one of the main nutrients that I see incredibly low in, in a fairly large subsection of, of people who have been exposed to mercury is lithium. And lithium is a midbrain nutrient that acts as a mood stabilizer, um, you know, in uh, in amounts that and, and in forms that are definitely much um, less uh, problematic than the lithium carbonate that has been used um, as a mood stabilizer um, for bipolar disorder. That's really interesting, uh, Sarah, because a friend of mine, Dr. Mark Goldstein just told me he's having an article published uh, in collaboration with an Italian associate on a, on lithium deficiency and how it's affecting us. So I, I, when I get it, I'll send it to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would love to read it. Thank you. Well, Dr. Dan, any questions for Sarah? Yep, I've got a few. I've been storing them up. Okay. Um, uh, what's, what is... How serious is the role of mercury in autoimmune disease like myasthenia gravis, rheumatoid osteoarthritis, Sjogren's, even Parkinson's, MS, and ALS? That's the first question. Then yeah, I have another you know, one after that, but let's do yeah. one at a time, okay? Yeah, so mercury can definitely, um, you know, especially in, in genetically susceptible people, um, be a major trigger of autoimmune dysfunction. Now, you know, there are other big triggers of autoimmunity, including right. gluten, uh, mercury, uh, and gluten are, are, you know, really the two biggest triggers of autoimmune dysfunction that I see. And this is one reason why I really like to caution people about, um, you know, choosing their detoxification methods safely because, um, because when, um, you know, some people have an onset of autoimmune illness when they unsafely detoxify mercury from, from their body. Uh, so that's just something to keep in mind. Okay. And, and the other thing is, is, is there a, a number, are, are there a number of fillings in the teeth? Let's say if you have two or three fillings, is that okay to leave in versus seven or eight or ten fillings, amalgam fillings? Is there any difference there? Should you mess with a couple of them? Does it make any difference? It's so it's so variable from person to person. I mean, for some people, even, um, you know, the in utero <laughs> exposure they've had to one filling from their mother mm. <coughs> will be too much. Um, and okay. for other people, you know, it seems like they can have even, you know, three or four fillings and, and hold up okay. I would say that, you know, Sooner or later, especially if you're blessed with fairly good health, don't wait for your health to crash. Do something about it. I'm not one of those people who will advocate rushing out and getting them all out at once. Um, but I think that everyone needs a good uh, personalized plan for um, for addressing 
any mer- any known mercury exposures that they have in their body, hopefully before their health crashes. But it's never too late, um, you know, to address um, one's health, even if, if you have a health crash. All the more reason to do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Sarah, I had a very interesting case recently. It's actually on my website. A uh, patient with um, grade three endometrial cancer, and um, a couple components that were dentally related. She had an infected uh, molar tooth under a bridge, which I extracted and cleaned out with ozone and um, uh, ionic silver and homeopathics. But the other interesting thing is, I had the patient bring her pathologic slide from the hospital. And when I tested using direct resonance testing, it's based on quantum physics. It's a really beautiful diagnostic system. I actually determined that the cancerous tissue in the histologic slide had mercury in it. And she had like six fillings left yeah. in the mouth, which we're about to get out. But you, know, you can take a histologic slide and test the tumor or test the diseased tissue for what may be a pesticide, a heavy metal, a vaccine, anything that could be trapped in that tissue. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. Yeah. My other my other question is vaccines, mercury, and autism. What is your take on that from your experience and from your studies and so forth, Sarah? Yeah, so you know, um the cumulative effect of um of mercury that um that the child is exposed to in combination with uh, his or her genetic and epigenetic susceptibility um, is such that in in a number of cases, the amount of mercury contained in in, the, in some of the vaccines that are um, especially you know that were routinely administered with um, you know 25 micrograms of mercury per dose could be enough to throw a child over the edge. In mm. addition to that, you know children who are exposed in utero to mercury even just just from amalgam um, can and, and do develop autism even without being vaccinated. And and then we have, um, you know, mercury-free vaccines such as the MMR, which are live virus vaccines, which have an, an immune-disrupting um, effect on, um, on a lot of, of children that interacts basically with the, with the pervasive system-wide dysfunction uh, including immune and gut dysfunction that these kids have and and creates the perfect storm for um for autism being triggered even by like i said a uh, a mercury free vaccine such as the m m r because mm. of the um the interaction between these different layers of dysfunction and i I do suspect that there is at least in some of these kids um an underestimated um occurrence of um of mast cell activation that you know that mercury contributes to i think in, in many ways but there is kind of a genetic uh slash epigenetic susceptibility to this uh massive immune overstimulation and overexcitation and inappropriate response um you know but vaccines are an incredibly um poorly <coughs> understood uh assault on the immune system, uh, both the vaccines that contain mercury and the ones that don't for different reasons and in different ways. Okay. 
I always wonder uh, if we're picking up more cases now where years ago these things existed and we just didn't know about it like we do now with all the technology we have. I don't know that answer. I don't know if anybody does, but, you know, trying to put it together. But, uh, Mercury right is, is, is part of the equation, Dan. I, I, let, let me uh, maybe uh, this is, this article just came out. It's in the International Journal of Vaccines and Vaccination. They uh, tested mm-hmm. 44 vaccines, and we'll go into this next week. And lead particles were found in Gardasil, the flu vaccine, the meningitis vaccine, and other vaccines of the 44 they tested were contaminated with stainless steel, iron, chromium, heavy metal, nickel. And remember, Sarah said that some of these uh, these toxic metals uh, make each other more toxic. Uh, mm-hmm. And these things are getting injected into us, and they're not even on, in the package insert. So, uh, and it is a peer-reviewed yeah. journal. I mean, it's it's really interesting stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, in, in these cases, we may have an idea of what you know, uh, what one of these things on its own may do, but the combination has never been studied. Um, and exactly. the problem is just, you know, just barely coming to the surface now. Yeah, it may not be any one, but the uh, the combination, the synergy is, could, could be very toxic. So then you have Sarah, a, you, a strict type of uh, uh, progression with the uh, combinations. It goes much higher. Right. And, and then with the genetic susceptibility, yeah. with the electromagnetic fields and increased permeability, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a toxic world. All right. Uh, yeah, and you Jerry, know, one anything? thing that we don't talk about much. What's that, Sarah? Is about Sorry. how toxic we One are. thing we don't talk about much is is, is about how um, you know how women are exposed to a lot of toxic metals just in their cosmetics and makeup that they're putting on their face every single day. And and I think this is one of the reasons why we see more autoimmunity in, in women than in men, in addition to the fact that, you know, women um, have <coughs> hormonal fluctuations that interact with mineral imbalances and, and toxic metal accumulations. So that that's a whole other layer of susceptibility um, that that we can add to that. Well, we, we we can even add more to that, but on the, this program we do talk about it, and we are we astounded our audience with uh, the fact that a, a woman could use up to nine pounds of lipstick in her lifetime. Nine pounds. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot. It is. Inc- it's incredible. Well, I just wanted to put my two cents in. The, I know Sarah was talking about autoimmunity, and in, in my experience. There's something in the tissue that's causing the body to attack it. I don't buy the conventional concept of autoimmunity because, um, you know, my own daughter had Hashimoto's, and when I tested her, she had Epstein-Barr virus in her thyroid. I had another patient with so-called Hashimoto's, and she had nickel and cytomegalovirus in her thyroid from a third molar extraction site and an orthodontic stainless steel wire in her, in her teeth. So the key component is to define what the heck's in that tissue, that organ, and uh, once you get rid of it, uh, the so-called autoimmune disease disappears. I mean, that's been my experience. I don't know if you found similar situations. I mean, I just had a fellow... Yeah, I mean, you know that... Yeah. A six-year-old 
that came down with type 1 diabetes, and he was referred to me last week, and, um, you know, it was after MMR, the measles, mumps, rubella. But what was interesting, when I tested his pancreas, he had cadmium and cytomegalovirus in his pancreas, and just within, I'd say, four weeks, his insulin requirement dramatically was reduced by just chelating out the cytomegalovirus and the cadmium. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and it's really interesting, you know, how um, toxic metals and pathogens and mold and EMFs are all just, you know, Lyme. We didn't talk about Lyme, but Lyme, in addition to Epstein-Barr virus, cytomegalovirus, and, um, you know, some of these other um, <coughs> some gut infections um, can definitely uh, be huge factors in, in uh, increasing the toxic uh, effects of mercury, and so each of these layers is a, is a strong contributing factor. Yeah, and the other thing uh, that I noticed clinically, it's difficult to get rid of Lyme or any other infection in the body when it's contaminated with the heavy metals. So, in my experience, taking those out first makes it easier for the immune system than to deal with the infection. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to Dr. Ron, Unfiltered, Uncensored, with a very special guest uh, who is uh, past her bedtime in uh, Tuscany, uh, Dr. (laughs) Sarah Russell. Pass that last glass of wine. (laughs) And she has been really gracious to call in at a, at a late hour in her from her home. So we, we definitely want to thank her and give her a big round of applause. And uh, and we definitely want her back again. Sarah, thank you so much. Uh, God bless. Uh, you, this, this has been really uh, elucidating. It's been informative. And uh, uh we will impose upon you to to come back on this program. Well, thank you With so, that, so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, you've, you've been a great guest. You've given us a lot of information. Jerry, Dan, uh, we're thank all you. okay, correct? We're all, yes, thank we just you very thank much. You a lot. Everybody, it was a great show. Thank you. All right. Formative. Thank you Ladies all. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> You've listened to Sarah Russell. If you go to my Facebook page, Dr. Ron Unfiltered, Uncensored, I'll put up uh, some information about Sarah Russell. She's uh, She can do consultations uh, through her website, through uh, also on Skype, and uh, she's really knowledgeable, as you, could, as you heard this past hour. And uh, if you have a need, if you think that she could help you, uh, just give her a call, please. And with that, Dan, Jerry, uh, Thank you all, and uh, we're going to wrap it up, and uh, we will see you next week on the radio. God bless you. Ciao. God bless you. Take care. Ciao. Ciao. Arrivederci. Thank you. Ciao. Arrivederci. Dr. Ron and Dr. Ron have left the building. Thank you for listening to Rejuvenation Health Radio here on LockedTalkRadio.com. See you next week.